Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Feeling stuck in your current job? Looking for a career pivot? Are you a proven leader looking to step up? The University of Maryland's Robert H. Smith School of Business prepares students to meet challenges, solve problems, and obtain a profound understanding of how to operate in the modern economy. With MBA and MS programs offering flexible options to fit your lifestyle and goals. GMAT and GRE not required. Learn more today at go.umd.edu slash smithschool. University of Maryland Smith School of Business. Inspired. Fearless. Unstoppable. Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul John Dykes and today I'm delighted to be joined by Laura Bradburn and Jim Moore for the Axel Bulletin. We're here from 12.30 live on Facebook, Twitter and on YouTube and if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to us on YouTube. To be kept up to date with all our broadcasts, we're going out on a daily basis. Jim, welcome back to the show. Give me your take on Celtic over the last seven days. Where do you start? Um, I said two weeks ago we were in limbo, and last week I said we're this season's death by a thousand cuts. Uh, what's happened last week? We played Livy last Saturday. No Dembele, no Opoflex, no Welsh. Logic at centre forward, inspired stuff, drop a couple of points. Monday we have Neil's meltdown in his press conference. Uh, not a good look. Uh, Livy and Wednesday. We lose half goals, we lose our way in the second half, substitutions are awful. Bruni. Uh, so it's not too clever the last seven days. So no, it's not. Um, anything in there, just for those that might ask, Jim, any, anything in there that might be deemed positive that you can share with us? I think the more things get worse, then the more the exposure there will be on the chief executive. Mm. I think I've said this week and Kevin said the same thing I think the success we've had over the last nine years is in spite of the people in charge and I think with every day 
but actually seeing how poor they are. And uh, the thing is, once things start to become good again, they will become good again, hopefully fairly soon. All that, all that focus and all that uh, exposure, that will go away and we'll go back to square one. And maybe this is an opportunity for some real change where it really matters. Yes, we need a new manager, etc. But as I said last week, uh, I don't want to grab it on again. We need a vision. We need to know where we're going to go next. And hopefully we get that sorted out as soon as possible. Well, I read with interest this morning that there had been a plan to follow up the um, unfortunate interview that Peter Lowell had already given, and that plan was to give us yet another, give us another interview, um, and give, put that out to the Celtic support. Um, do you think that's still going to happen, Laura? I think that's been put on the back burner. Yeah, it, it sounds like it has been. Um, I was. You know, I, I've listened to um, Natasha specifically, but everybody talk about the lack of communication from the club. Um, they seem to be very reluctant to give any information in their, unless they're absolutely pushed to. Um, and this seems to be another situation where that's the case. They, they've said something uh, a few months ago, I think with the intention of just kind of getting people off their backs, potentially not with the actual intention of, of following up on it and didn't think they would be called out for not following up on it. And now that they are, they, they're kind of, you know, paying a bit more lip service to it. So it's one of these things we have to just wait and see. And um, I'll believe anything that happens when I see it, but not before. Well, this has been one of the biggest uh, criticisms has been the, the lack of communication, engagement. And, you know, fans have been, you know, tweeting uh, JP, the, the supporter liaison officer, for an update on this uh, mooted review. Reports in the press today, and I had to have a look at them to see how many direct quotes we were getting to see if there was a good source, Laura, suggested that Neil Lennon, um, they would prefer, the board would prefer for Neil Lennon to stay until the end of the season. This has then resulted in quite a um, a reaction from many online uh, and basically what you're looking at there is if he does stay, forget whether or not we want him to stay, any new manager coming in in the summer has got a massive job on their hands. It's it's big enough in relation to trying to get the squad ready for qualifiers for Europe. But coming mm. in at that late stage, I mean, that that's just a lack of foresight, is it not? I would say so. I mean, I think... I think it's a lack of foresight and a lack of preparation at the best of times when you have a club who are potentially not going to start their season proper until, you know, late into the summer uh, or into next, you know, into September and that kind of thing. So um, other leagues in the world like Spain and Italy that don't start till later. But, you know, in a situation especially Celtic are concerned that we regularly start our our season kind of mid-July, depending on where in the pot we are for the Champions League um, qualifiers. You're in a situation where we really need to know if there's a change of manager or even if there's signings. Ideally, those should be, should be getting looked at and tied up towards the end of the previous season because any later than that and you're leaving yourself very, very short in terms of preparation time and bedding people in and it's just not... Uh, not an ideal situation for us to win, especially when the Champions League qualifiers as well play such a huge part financially and, you know, in other ways in terms of how the next season pans out for us. I just think, again, you know, this all ties in, Laura, to the, the poor engagement stroke communication from the club because we don't know... That that's, as I say, if I ever see any any press reports, I need to dig in to see if there's any source material. Is there a quote from the club? And I can't find that to confirm that that is indeed the case. If it is, I think that's a worst case scenario. I really do. I think it's a worst case scenario. Um, now, a, a discussion I had yesterday with JP was it was actually quite amusing for anyone who didn't watch the the bulletin because JP gave a great impression of John Barnes. It was uncanny. I just saw that. <laughs> but um, we were talking about that. That fateful season when Barnes and Douglas came in and I think having reflected on that this pre-season is going to be as similar to the pre-season that followed the Barnes and Douglas dream team season as I can imagine and where I'm getting that from is you know when Martin O'Neill came in Celtic were 21 points behind Rangers he inherited a squad that there was divisions within the squad 
Um, and having spoken to some of the guys in that dressing room, there was definitely divisions within the squad. It was an unhappy dressing room. There was an outgoing managerial team that cost Celtic a lot of money. Now, people sometimes forget that Kenny Dalglish took Celtic to court after he was relieved of his duties at the end of that season. And he was paid out of court. There was a settlement of just under 700 grand. Now, I don't know off the top of my head what the payments were to McDermott and John Barnes, but when someone is indeed sacked, and I think Eric Black was part of the management team, Obviously, that normally results in some kind of payoff. So there are so many similarities between what happened that season and what is happening as we um, look towards this preseason. Another thing I pointed out was there were two big money signings who clearly didn't have a future at Celtic and Rafael, the Brazilian, and Ayo Berkovic, both of whom cost over £5 million. And... This preseason ever comes in, may be faced with a similar scenario with two big five million pound signings in Barkas and Ayeti. I'm not writing them off completely, yeah. but it doesn't look at that at this stage as though they are the future of Celtic Football Club. Then, on the back of that, if indeed it is going to be such an upheaval, you've got to look at the investment Celtic had to make to turn it round. So, not only did we have to get rid of the old guard. And as I say, I know obviously the um, the payoff to Kenny Dalglish was just under seven hundred grand, and we're looking at a managerial team just now. Who obviously we all know if they're to be moved on, there will be a payoff. We then had to invest massively in getting Martin O'Neill and his coaching staff in because there was a compensation package to pay Leicester. Then there was the entire makeover of that squad. Now he inherited people like Stan Petrov. Paul Lambert, Henrik Larsson, Lubo Moravchik, but then he did have to rebuild it. And it, virtually every signing he brought in for a couple of years was a big money signing on big wages. So that, I think, is a slight fear for me at the moment, Laura. If you yeah. want to wrestle the superiority back um, and you want to get that title back immediately, the turnaround this pre-season is as big as it was when Martin O'Neill came in. And that's what worries me if the board are thinking we're going to just stick with Neil to the end of the season because the amount of work that needs to be done is massive. Um, Mm -hmm. What's your thoughts on that? I'm I'm making comparisons to another forgettable season. Yeah, my hope would be that uh, there are maybe moves being made that we are not aware of and that would include, you know, clearing up with Neil Lennon what his position is, whether it's that he leaves at the end of the season or, or very, very soon. Um, if the decision has been made that it doesn't leave to the end of the season, what I would hope is happening is that there has been a manager tied up for next season and that conversations are ongoing about what kind of players he would like to bring in, where he thinks the weaknesses is, are, are in the squad um, and that kind of thing to avoid the very type of situation you're talking about where he comes in, he's uh, feeling under pressure to play perhaps big money signings that he had nothing to do with identifying or bringing in. Because as we all know, there's, you know, it's it's not good for the, the players concerned, never mind the manager coming in. Look what happened with Marion Shved. I mean, he, he came to us off the back of, uh, I think he was named Ukrainian Player of the Year in, in the, the league that he was playing in before, um, before he joined us. But ultimately, it wasn't a signing that Brendan Rodgers identified or that he wanted. And so we were in a situation that uh, that he was getting left out because Brendan Rodgers didn't want him. Brendan Rodgers' um, relationship with the board deteriorated after that and Shved ended up wasting a year of his career. So, you know, there's a two-way process by which there, there are people at the top of these clubs sort of playing with the careers and that's that's something that we can't afford to do either for the sake of the manager or for the sake of the players coming in no you're, you're right and again there's obviously you know you look up at the, the date and time's running out Laura in relation to any reinforcements that you're looking at just for this season now if any manager is coming in any potential manager and we've heard all the rumours 
about the potential for um, certain managers coming into Celtic and you know th- this is the frustration I would ask the question how dis- disconnected are this board to the Celtic support due to the fact that um, if that is the case if, if indeed they are going to try and ride this out with Neil Lennon and it's not about Neil Lennon it's about the club moving on to next season it could take you know if you say if a manager was to come in right now and assess the squad Laura and immediately uh, you know be given the information in relation to where we are in terms of the centre-half position because we need a centre-half through injuries everybody knows it Uh, and that's something that maybe the new manager um, needs to be consulted on then that needs to happen now. So we've heard all the rumours about there's going to be an announcement by the by next Friday. And in this paper talk, and we know that the club has been utilising the press and filtering stories into the tabloid press. And so you, you tend to be swayed by that information. If indeed that is the situation as it is in the club at this moment in time, I feel that there is a huge amount of Celtic fans who will be despairing at that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely despairing. And I keep saying this, but over the next uh, month or two, season ticket renewals are going to start dropping. And yep. the club surely know the the kind of feelings amongst a massive part of the Celtic support. So on the one hand, you know, last week we were talking about is Eddie Howe the man for Celtic? This week we're kind of being fed the line that Neil Lennon's going to be the man for Celtic this season. So it is a disconnect. I mean, are the club listening to Celtic fans, how can they listen? I mean, do they do they know what's going out there in the World Wide Web on social media on podcasts? Do they do they care? I, I can't imagine they're caring, and and not to not to harp back on it again, but you know the whole Dubai situation uh, indicated to me that there is a club there and and a, and a, a staff and a, a chief executive who are not taking into account the struggles that people are having. Like, I've heard you talk before about how, you know, um, season ticket goes from necessity to desire to luxury. And we're certainly in the phase where that season ticket is a luxury. Um, they They have to make shelling out £600 or however much money it is um, for how many people you've got at home that have season tickets they have to make that worth people's while and that needs to be through the signings that they make through the extras that they offer to people who have season tickets like for example right now I don't have a season ticket and the only difference between me and somebody who has one is that they can get what I've heard is a pretty substandard access to watching matches um, that's, to me that's not acceptable and I think as well, I mean I hate to say it on a Celtic podcast but I was listening to BBC Scotland uh, radio, I think it was last night I certainly saw the clip last night Stephen Naismith was spot on with what he said the only way that season tickets are going to be sold is if there's an indication of ambition of the from the club. That goes from the manager that we appoint, the players that we sign, um, and anything that is offered by the club by way of communication. Now, I'm not talking about hampers and, you know, superfluous things that don't really matter in the, in the scheme of football. But I'm talking about... Uh, it's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. 
As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Uh, things that will make the experience of following Celtic better from a footballing perspective, and that's something that I think has been lost. Also, what you might have noticed has been lost is the one and only Jim Orr. Now, the reason for that, there was a wee bit of uh, interference with the sound, so I'm going to try and bring Jim back into the broadcast, and hopefully that clears up. Um, so, there he is. Jim Orr, you're back. You're back in the room. Can you hear us? Now he's quiet, which has sol- solved the issue because we can't hear any interference. But indeed, we can't hear you at all now, Jim. I'm going to keep you up on the screen until your sound comes back to us. In the crowd, who is commenting via YouTube, Celtic website not been updated for two days, the ostrich manoeuvre. Uh, there, is, there is this disconnect, and this is the big issue in relation to what do you believe, what don't you take as gospel, Laura. So when we see these stories about Celtic keeping the gaffer, do we wait until the the official statement comes out? Is that is that the only way that uh, we know what's happening? But I hadn't seen the, uh, the interview or heard rather the interview that you're referring to, but I had read it this morning on one of the Celtic sites. Um, and again, regardless of who came out with it, I think the inf- you know if you're just looking at the actual facts that he stated, he is a hundred percent correct because Celtic supporters now are feeling that whilst for a large part and people do disagree with this whilst Neil Lennon's at the helm things are not going to improve so the point was made that when the review was announced we were closer to Rangers than we are now Um, this comment that he made uh, and it was after being posed a question by the cynic the Celtic podcast the cynic in relation to you know this um, situation where there's a dramatic failing uh, over a short space of time then you know that would be the time for him to to, to kind of like uh, review his situation and move on that's happened and he's saying that he's not going anywhere so the contradictions continue as well now just a quick sound check Jim can you give us a one two to make sure we can hear you uh, because at the moment you are absolutely silent. Can you try again? Unfortunately, it sounds as though we're losing Jim, so we'll see if there's anything he can do in the background. It sounds as though you're muted, Jim. So, yeah, Laura, in relation to those comments then, I mean, mm-hmm. we don't speak on a Celtic state of mind. We don't speak for the entire Celtic fan base. What we try and do is get uh, an overview of the, the views and considerations of Celtic fans, and we get that through some of the comments that come through uh, during the broadcast. So, Kaplow Mark, the disconnection is as wide as before Fergus there appears to be similar disregard for the supporters then I, I, and again I understand exactly what you mean there because two different sets of situations um, the club completely different now to what it was back then but in relation to how disconnected the fans are feeling there's Jim and I can hear you this time Jim One, two, three. yeah we can hear you uh, but the way a lot of fans are feeling um, it is a real disconnection. I'm going to throw this one out to Jim Moore because obviously Jim was heavily involved in supporter movements, street movements back then, Jim, with Save Our Celts in the early days. Um, is this disconnection as wide as it was back in your day, back in the early 90s? I don't know the board disconnected, but I'm disconnected today, so that's the main thing. Uh, in terms of the early 90s, uh, I would, I would say so, because I also think there's a, there's a sense of you will never get to this board. This board are too big. This is a big public limited company. And what you had back in the early 90s was a board room full of people who weren't wealthy men, who weren't particularly clever men, who had a deadline to build a new stadium, who had no money to do that. So there's always going to be an end in sight. I don't see an end in sight to this board, which is maybe no bad thing, as long as they get their act together and start to do what they should be doing. And I keep coming back to the vision thing. I'd like to know what the vision thing is. Uh, I'd like to know what the structure is going to be. And there's no reason why they couldn't tell us what the structure should be. Because if they go down the route of director of football and head coach, then Neil Lennon or John Kennedy could be that head coach. They don't have to give us names. Just give us some sort of structure. Give us some sort of vision. What are the objectives for the club? Because uh, people talk about and uh, work 
environment of smart objectives uh, stands for specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, time-bound. What are our objectives as a club, both domestically and in Europe? Domestically, every season we should be looking to win all the trophies because we've done that. And that kind of fits the smart objectives. Europe, what's what's the objectives in Europe? I just think that maybe two of every three years we should be in the Champions League. And every year we should be playing football after Christmas. What are the board's objectives? Because you just make Bumble alone and let's just see what happens next. Because we know what the, what, what, what the club's objectives are, then that will kind of manage your expectations. Because I mean, we've had a chat before and you said about your expectations of the club are X, Y, and Z. And I've always said to you, don't have that, that's too high. My expectations are very, very low. And they tend to meet my, my, meet my expectations more often than not. And what's happened this year, I think it's just exposed them for what they are. And, uh, and I don't know how much, we'll, you know, if you take things like how much we want to pay for a new player. Now, you have to balance the books. You know, and I understand that. Like, like Peter Lowe, I'm also a chartered accountant. He's one of my people, basically. I'm also the same age as Peter Lowe, so there's a bit of a hint there. I think it's a push from here. Um, so you have to balance the books. So, from, from my point of view, when I look at Celtic, there's a kind of ceiling in terms mm. of having to spend on a player. And I was astonished in a good way that we spent nine million on Edward. Astonished for a club at Celtic. So we have to balance the books. Seven million on Julian two seasons ago. Astonished. And if it was me, I wouldn't spend more than five million because if you spend more than five million on a player, then what does that say about your scouting network and your youth development? Because we're in a small country in a small league. So I don't understand the strategy. I don't understand the vision of the club. And they're very, very silent in this kind of stuff. And don't, don't, don't tell us things we need to know, but just give us some sort of hint of kind of where we're going. And I'd like them just to come out and say that we're putting a new structure in place, or being in place by April, uh, and Neil and the rest of the guys could be playing a part in that. You know, don't, don't, don't hang Neil out to dry. And I felt, particularly in the last week, I think they've hid behind Neil Lennon. I think some of the things that have happened this week have been appalling. Mm. If you go back to the press conference on Monday, that clown, halfway through it, said to him, by the way, there's another guy out. You know yourself, Paul, what it's like to have to, have to speak in public. And nobody that likes to speak in public. That shocking. was really bad. Now, nobody likes to speak in public. And as you know yourself, Paul, because you do a lot of public speaking, people say that they'd much rather die than have to speak in public. You know, so... That's a really... I'd imagine that's the toughest thing that a manager has to do because mm. the other parts of your job you're doing with the players all the time. But if you have to speak to the public and given the social media the way it is just now, that's potentially down to thousands, tens of thousands, millions of people. So you have to plan that in advance. You have to have a strategy there, as you well know. You mm-hmm. know what you do. You know. But the difference between a manager doing that and Paul John Dykes in the concert hall in front of 1,500 people is because those 1,500 people are with you. They want you to do well. They want you to learn these stories. They want you to hear certain stories. Right? And even if you make a complete mess of it, they'll still love you because they're with you. But, but Monday, there's a bunch of guys there wanting you to fail. They want you to say things that they can pounce upon. Yeah. And this cloud, halfway through it, puts a real span on the works there. Should be sacked. Again, somebody should be sacked. Another thing that annoyed the hell out of me as well, because after Wednesday night, and I watched yourself and and Kevin chatting away and I jumped over to Twitter to see what's happening in there and there was a certain TV interview with Neil Lennon after the game and the first few seconds of that he does something with his mouth you know, yep. you know, you know he does. but he looks really angry and snarling and he put that out I know. and you'd be thinking who knows what they're doing but they've either cut that wee bit out did it again or not show the video just put out the audio and I got a wee feeling that they're maybe hanging out to dry by the way, you know, somebody else is out. Wow! And then they do the interview, and he looks as if he. And, and there's a picture in the Herald, and uh, Tuesday was it, sort of thing. And it made him look really, really simple. So I think you know I've got a lot of sympathy for Neil Lennon. Uh, I felt again through an old ground of all the different points of the season where we've, where we've tipped. Yours was Aberdeen. I know that. I don't know Laura's tipping point was, but mine was when Kevin Nisbet scored the second goal at Easter Road. That was my tipping point. And that's the point, Neil Lennon shouldn't have been the manager anymore. And the blame for me then shifts from Neil Lennon to the chief executive at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And I now feel sorry for Neil Lennon because he's a dead man walking basically in that job. And what I feel that 
I think to get where Neil Lennon has, has got to, you have to be so mentally tough. Anyone at the top of, of, of any sport has to be really mentally tough. And it's 90% mental, 10% technical ability, say. So when we were all kind of saying things like, why is he doing this and why is he doing that? And we all saw that as bad things. If you're Neil Lennon, you don't see that as bad things because you get supreme confidence and your ability. When we're trying to question all through the season, why is he picking this team? These substitutions are terrible. Etc. He says, so why is he not playing Turnbull? Blah, blah, blah. And Neil Lennon's mind, he's doing the right thing because he knows what he's doing. He knows the job. We don't know the job. You know, so people like me and, and you and Laura and, and other people want to have a look at Neil Lennon. He'll be thinking, you don't know what I'm doing. This is, this is my job. Right? I know what I'm doing. I'm confident in my party and I'm, and I'm a winner and I've won in the past and I will turn this round. And I think at the point we were all clamouring for him to go, he said to Peter Law all those things. I'm a winner. I'm a winner. Stick with me. And at that point, Peter Law jumps on the Lenny bus at that point because he's now stuck to Lenny. So Lenny succeeds, Law succeeds, Lenny fails, Law fails. And he almost did it. He almost did it. He obviously went to Law and said, look, leave it with me. We won a few games. We'll win the Scottish Cup. I'll go to Ibrox. We'll beat them. And before we know it, we're within four points and it's game one. Trust me, Peter. I know what I'm doing. And I think as well, I think as well, um, from what you've said, Jim, I totally agree. Like, I um, sometimes get frustrated when things happen, and I know that I'm not going to be on the podcast towards the end of the week because you know it's all been talked out by the time by the time we we get in to get our tuppence worth in or whatever. On this occasion, I was actually quite glad because. After that press conference on Monday, I was mortified at the way Neil Lennon behaved. I was... I don't think I've ever been more embarrassed as a Celtic fan by the conduct of the club and by the conduct of our manager. You know, if if there was any power that I had to have sacked him on the spot after that press conference, I would have done it. With a few days' reflection, I think, bringing up the issue about, you know getting told in the middle of the press conference that uh, that another player had tested positive actually reading the transcript of the of the of what he said during the, the press conference was all um, pointed towards you know there's some there's some points there to be made some of the things he said were reasonable it was the manner and the way that he put it across that was absolutely you know out of order in my opinion so I think Celtic fans are coming round to the fact that, you know, I don't think anybody really wants Lennon to stay as manager. I don't think I would go that far and say that. Certainly not. I want a higher calibre manager. I think too much has happened for it to, to continue the way it is. But I think looking at that and looking back at the, the Brendan Rodgers situation, I think people are starting to come round to the fact that, you know, we need to frame our opinions not only on the individuals as managers and the, and the way they behave but things that might be going on behind the scenes that we have no knowledge of that might be causing frustration or causing people to act a certain way that that we might not see as acceptable but actually if we were in the same position how, how different would we be? I think that's absolutely spot on Laura I mean Paul you've interviewed Neil Lennon he's an intelligent articulate man right why would he say the things that he said in the manner that he said them? Why would he do that? He must be under, you know, enormous Immense. pressure. Yeah. Enormous pressure under there. And people aren't helping him, I don't think. And yes, what he said, or sorry, the manner in which he said things was unacceptable. But I think if you peel back, as Laura said there, to go a wee bit behind that, to understand why he's saying these things and, and the way that he's saying them. Because all, all Neil Lennon had to do last Monday was come out and said, I'm not going to talk about Dubai. Peter spoke to you last week. That's moved on. We've got Livy Wednesday night. Let's talk about that. that. That's all he had to say. And Lennon's been in the game, what, 20, 30 years? He spoke to the media hundreds of times. Mm-hmm. He didn't know how to put the media, but he didn't do that. And I think it's a reason for doing that, or something has happened that's just the bang. And I think, again, my theory is that my tipping point was, was Kevin Nisbet's goal at Easter Road. I think Lenny's tipping point was Kevin Nisbet's equaliser in the game at Celtic Park. Which he must have been sitting watching the game on the TV. Because I think, again, if you put yourself in Lenny's mind, you're a born winner, you're positive, 
So you don't win the Ibrox, but you go to Dubai and you're coming back and you're pumped and you're going to go for it. And okay, maybe if we win the games in hand, there's a 10 point gap, one of the two Glasgow dabs is four. That's the way Neil Lennon's thinking. That's the way you have to think when you're a top sports person. You have to think that way. We're going to win this league. I'm going to show them. I'm going to do the 10. That's in his mind. That's what's going to happen. And then Dubai blows up with the 13 players being out. And he's having to sit and watch a game on his TV. And we're 1 0 up into the last minute, thinking, well, that's quite good. We managed to get three points. And I think when it scores, maybe it does realise it's over. It's just over. That's it finished. And I think that's the point. That's I think that's his tipping point. And although he has to say it loud, we're still in it and we'll try with it. I think that's the point that his tipping point is. And I think all the frustrations of this season, because they're not looking to look for excuses, because the team at the top of the league deserve to win the league this year. Absolutely. And I'm not going to make excuses. But again, if I'm Neil Lennon and I'm looking back in the season, because I'm up to self-isolate so I have to do a lot of thinking here and I look back in the season and I think you know whether we think or whether somebody thinks that he was the right man for the job or not or whether you think how he got the job was the right thing or not he was appointed the manager and he was asked to do he had certain smart objectives and he delivered those objectives won the league won the league cup won the Europa League uh, section with games to spare gets into the semi gets into the semi final of the Scottish Cup He's delivered everything he was after to deliver. He's then given thirteen million pounds, six new players. Game on. We're going to win the ten. Is what I'm not a big fan of is selective hindsight. You know, we're all smart in hindsight. And just a wee thing about well, uh, what, the, what, what the chief executive said last week. In hindsight, it was a bad decision. You know what? We shouldn't be paying somebody three and a half million to do hindsight. He has to do foresight. He has to do vision and strategy, right? My almost 90 year old mother can do hindsight. She can tell you what should have happened. We don't need to pay you three and a half million for hindsight. It's about, it's about foresight. But if I'm Neil Lennon, off that tangent, sorry, if I'm Neil Lennon and I'm looking back at the season, I'm looking at the game at Kilmarnock, the big Julian giving away a daft penalty. I'm looking at the Aberdeen game and, and Cham giving the penalty in the last minute. And I'm looking at Easter Road and Scott Brown giving away the penalty. I'm looking at the game at Iverts where we dominate the game and we get a daft sending off. And I'm not making excuses from a personal point of view. I think if I'm Neil Lennon, I'm looking at all these things. You know what? See if one or two of those things went the other way. We're right back in this because he's a top sportsman and that's how top sportsmen think. So I've now got a lot of sympathy for, for Neil Lennon. It was it wasn't good viewing last month, the, the bits I seen. And also the media, again, are going to pick the bits that they want to show him in the worst possible light. So you have to be aware of that. And I know you've seen the kind of long version, Paul, I haven't seen it. And I know you said it's not very good viewing, etc. etc. But getting back to the public speaking thing, they're out to show him in the worst possible light. And then Neil Lennon is one of us Neil Lennon's a good guy he's not performed particularly well this season and he, he really should go but some of the personal abuse way over the top from, from Celtic fans that's unacceptable if he's not doing a good job I think he should go and that's and that's the sum total of it but the personal stuff that guy's had to endure you know more than any other Celtic player has ever had to endure don't make it personal we know his time's up but maybe he, he may have a part to play within the club who knows yeah. Well, listen, I, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying and I know that I just said what I said five minutes ago about um, the content of some of what he said being worth investigation. I think where he went wrong was A, I mean, he behaved appallingly in terms of how aggressive he was, the way that he spoke to the, the reporters and stuff. And I know that they they just sometimes don't behave great themselves, but, but I mean, it was atrocious. I think where he made the absolute biggest error you can say what you want about it can contest the the dressing room conditions of some of the other places that he's been. He can contest whether the rules were changed or not, and he can uh, after Dubai. Where he went wrong was saying that he didn't think there was a problem going there, and he didn't think there was a problem having a drink and whatever. They may very well be his opinions, but he's been in isolation for however long. He knows that stating those things is not going to change people's opinion. That was a mistake. And to start with that, 
put him on the back foot immediately and I think that's where the problem was uh, what hasn't helped his credibility since and it, it's it's kind of their word against his but to have St Johnston and Hamilton and the Scottish government come out and, and debunk everything that he said you know put, puts his credibility as far as some statements, statements he made through the floor and I think that's where that's certainly where from an employment and a, and a management point of view you can't continue whether whether whatever your opinion of him is as a person and what he's what he's been through um, in his time at the club you know I, I think it does come sorry Jim on you go I'm not trying to be Neil Lennon right? I'm not a big Neil Lennon fan in terms of him being the manager right? but I'm trying to look at it objectively now, I think the whole club has got a blind spot about the trip to Dubai. For some reason, they don't get it. They just don't get it. You know, there's people, it's like, it's like seeing those stories in the last month where there's a couple who are trapped in Spain. My holiday hell. They went to Spain during a pandemic. How stupid are you to go to Spain in a pandemic and you're looking for sympathy? That's the Dubai trip. Right? And, there's a, and there's a blind spot that they haven't admitted to yet and I don't understand why they haven't admitted to it but a number of things came out of the conversation on Monday that I thought oh aye that's interesting that's interesting because Neil says something like uh, 75 to 80% of the players don't don't, don't drink alcohol mm-hmm. and straight away I would be homing in on that kind of comment if I was in the media basically because one of my bugbears is alcohol in this country like alcohol spoils this country people are too dependent on that that's what looking for alcohol equals good time right so to me 75 to 80 percent of our players are doing the right thing they are top class sportsmen and they shouldn't be drinking alcohol i don't think you lens sees that because he's old school right so we've got 20 to 25 percent of the players who like a beer again go to dubai if you want you think that's a good idea but surely they should be saying don't drink alcohol guys I know you're working hard, but just have a soft drink, just have a cold, just have some water. Don't drink alcohol. Alcohol is banned. But what do we see? We see the manager and the captain lying virtually side by side, beers in hand. Now, the whole PR thing is all over the shop. Or either the PR thing is good, but the manager's not listening. I don't know, but there's such a disconnect between the whole thing. And think about Monday's uh, interview. Surely one would think that PR guy, whoever it is, we keep talking about PR guy, maybe a woman, who knows, but PR person, you think that I sat down with Neil Lennon and planned that out and said, right Neil, what I said before was, tell them straight away, Dubai's off limits, we're just going to talk about the football, and if you do start talking about Dubai, stick to this and only say that. And don't do a John Kennedy and say something. And again, it's not like a Michael Spicer, you know, See the thing though, Jim. See, no, I think it's a good point, and it is a PR guy, incidentally. But I think it's a good point because it comes into the communication of the club. It was really, really bad communication on Monday. Even if the communication guy had said that to Neil Lennon, his opening gambit was to have a go at Andy Walker for calling it a jolly. So he's brought up Dubai. You know, it wasn't as though um, anybody else brought it up. He brought it up himself. Neil Lennon brought it up. And so even if he's been told before he goes in there, don't mention it. He's gone rogue. I think he's gone rogue anyway. But it comes back to the poor communication all around the club because it's all part of the same problem whereby should the PR officer have briefed him? I'm sure he did before that. Should he have imparted the information about the second casualty? Absolutely not. It's just poor communication. So Patrick Murphy brings up the point. If this morning's rumours are true, then the self-sabotage continues. However, the noises around the club are so mixed right now, so who knew, Who knows what to believe? Communication is vital and we have nothing. Now, someone suggested on my um, Twitter feed this morning um, that we could, because we have obviously the the live feeds for the games Laura Jim's dropped out uh, temporarily again we've got the live feeds for the games so you are basically opening up an opportunity to address the season ticket holder base and all the corporate tickets that obviously are, have been given links so at that point I don't, I, I don't think that many people have been too enthused with the pre-match entertainment this season in relation to the, the season ticket pass. But what you do have is you've got a fantastic opportunity 
to address the fan base in terms of the season mm-hmm. ticket fan base. And then that video, after the game, or even during the game, could be dropped onto the YouTube channel. So you can address... So. I, I thought it was interesting that apparently there was a planned address to the Celtic support this week by Peter Lowell, which has been shelved following Monday's um, situation with Neil Lennon. But if you're going to do it, and it's not going to be interactive because I doubt very much that he'll ever agree to that, then do it before the game because you're going to then have a whole blanket the Celtic season ticket holders. Use the and communication also, avenues. And also, you know, if you're blanking the opportunity to communicate based on Monday surely as a chief executive you would want to get out and communicate straight away if he's if he's thinking that what Neil Lennon did on Monday wasn't acceptable then why is he not taking the opportunity as soon as possible thereafter to, to try and write that shit? You know, you can you can say what you like about some of the comments Peter Lowell made in his apology and, and some of the things were atrocious, you know, saying that COVID has affected us more than any other club is nonsense and, and trying to justify things that weren't justifiable again. But he, he still had some sort of pretense of, of you know admitting fault and things like that and, and Neil Lennon kind of blew all of that out the water to paraphrase him himself you know but um, I think that I think it also speaks volumes that you know every word Neil Lennon utters as Celtic manager on an official Celtic channel is retweeted on Twitter mm-hmm. they didn't put the coverage of the the press conference on Twitter at all there's no evidence of a press conference on any official Celtic channel so that tells you everything you need to know about what the club think about what has, I don't think we need to question whether it went rogue in my opinion he did and that's become a major issue, I think that uh, that Peter Lawwell his first instinct seems to be to retract any potential communication he was going to make in in light of a crisis rather than take the opportunity to manage the crisis. Mm-hmm. Jim, I'm going to come to you with a point here because just before you came on uh, during the the issue with the, the sound earlier, I was saying to Laura that I feel the comparisons between this season and the John Barnes season are going to be even more relevant at the end of the season. I don't know if you had the conversation, Jim. Now, at that point, you've gone silent again, unfortunately, but at that point, um, the investment that Celtic required to turn that back round, the overhaul that was, that was needed in the personnel and the new management team, that put Celtic on a, a run under Martin O'Neill that we'll remember all the good times, but financially, it resulted in actual fact in Peter Lowell having to come in in 2003 because the spend was so large in order to try not only to become the dominant force in Scottish football again, but there was aspirations in Europe, and obviously we, we did well enough to reach the UEFA Cup final. So, Jim, I, I don't know if you heard the comparisons earlier on. Do you believe the overhaul that happened after the Barnes season is going to be as big this time round in terms of bringing in a team like O'Neill and others, plus all the signings, the overhaul of the personnel? And again, are we in a position to do it this time round? Because the last time it resulted in a not financial turmoil, but in a whole evaluation of the club on a financial basis to the point where we brought in Peter Lowell to change things. I think we've got the players there. So I don't think there has to be a big upheaval in terms of the players. And I think the ones that are going to be having loan, I don't think we'll miss them too much. We need to disappear as well. Uh, it kind of goes back to the vision thing again. Uh, I think we need to know what market that, that we shop in. I don't think we have to buy too many more players in order to have the best team in Scotland. I think the team that are there, coach probably then, will win the league next year. I think we'll win the league. It may be very tight, but I think because the team across the city are actually doing pretty well. So I think we'll win the league next year with the players that we've got, but it'll, but it'll be tight. It's about who we bring above that. And we've said that for the last few months. It's not about the front door, it's the actual structure of the house. We need to sort that out first. And if, and if the chief executive is going to keep interfering with football matters, that's going to make it more of a challenge, basically. And what we have to do is put a structure in where people know what they're roles and responsibilities are and they, and, and they keep to the, their own bit right? if we've got a director of football in there who deals with all footballing matters just give him or her a budget and let them be one with it and that's it 
And Peter Law, you, you stick to balance the boots, get in to get sponsorship and advertising in, in the markets and using your influence and you and doing all that kind of stuff. But, but don't touch the football. And I think we've heard too many stories over the past number of years of interference and we've lost this player and lost that player because of his interference. If that continues to happen, then it'll be more of a challenge than it should be. And what we've said earlier, what I've said earlier is that uh, we've been successful in spite of that. But this season, we're not successful in spite of that. That's been a factor. And you, mm. you should pinpoint certain things that have happened to say, well, maybe if he hadn't got involved in that, this wouldn't have happened. Now, I'm not absolving Neil Lennon from the blame, but I think it's a joint thing now. Because again, if you're Peter Law, and again, you back to May 19, and you pick a manager. Now, don't call him Neil Lennon. You pick a manager, and that manager you pick, whether that was a good decision or a bad decision, the outcome was pretty good. We might say that was a bad decision he made there, Peter, but the outcome was good. He delivered over the league, the League Cup, the Europa, the Europa League qualification, and then the Scottish Cup. And then at the start of the season, if I'm Peter Law, I give you £13 million. Pounds. I give you six players, two from the EPL, Serie A, on you go. I've done my bit. I've done my bit. I'm not to blame for anything now, because I've done my bit. And then the manager makes a complete type zero of it. I have to step in and, and let him go. In November, if I do that, I've done my bit. So I'm, I was surprised. Because from a Peter Law point of view, if you let Neil Lennon go in November, you can defend what you've done. I think I can defend what I've done. Mm. But by, yeah. by jumping on the Lenny bus in November, you've, you've, you're, you're now joined to him. He feels you feel. And he's failed. And therefore, Peter Law had to feel. Because as we've all said at various points in time, you have to twist. You can't stick. Because if you twisted back in November, who knows? We might be much closer to the team at the top of the league. We might know it, but we can't be any worse. And that's the things where you stand or fall by the big decisions you make. He made a bad decision, and he has to fall for it. Now, Jim said something earlier on, Laura, I'm going to ask you about it, where he said basically that perhaps there are moves in the background that will include Neil Lennon. Um, and I'm not so sure that Neil Lennon would, would buy into that. I mean, it would be difficult, surely, if he was to move from first-team manager to any position at the club, because, again, it's almost an admission of failure, something that he hasn't admitted to date. So we've seen it in the past where you know we've tried to move uh, a manager elsewhere within the club and it's not happened, it's, it's not been a success. I mean, do you see that being part of any, any future strategy for, for Neil Lennon to be part of it? I don't think he'd accept it. I, I, I've struggling to think of an example where that's happened anywhere, Celtic or otherwise, where it's been a success. I think it brings up two issues. Uh, one is if Neil Lennon hasn't shown that he's getting off either on the coaching or the motivation side to continue to be the manager, then I struggle to understand what value he could bring to another role, whether it's a director of football or, or, or anything like that. The other problem you have is any manager who comes in thereafter is going to rightly feel uh, kind of as if their toes are being stepped on a little bit. Um, uh, there's rumours that David Moyes, for example, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson's uh, legacy and his presence ongoing around the club was an issue for, for David Moyes to get his own ideas. Now, I'm not saying obviously there's there's different issues there because of the level of success that, that Alex Ferguson had, but, the, but the, the principle remains the same in that you you lose autonomy as a manager if you come in and the previous manager remains because there's relationships with some of the players there, there's ideas that some of the players might continue to use from the previous manager and, and you can struggle to put your, I mean managers struggle to put their own stamp on a team even after a previous manager leaves at the best of times if that mm -hmm. manager is physically still involved in the club I don't know how that process gets made any easier and I can't see an Eddie Howe or a, a Mark Hughes or anybody like that coming in in circumstances like that and being happy with it. I mean, we've talked about Peter Lowell getting too involved in, in football and matters and how that might affect our ability to appoint a, a high-quality manager. I can only think that that would be even more the case if Neil Lennon was to stay around. Unless he was literally to become, you know, 
a first team coach or a youth coach or something like that, where he is absolutely a hundred percent, you know, underneath the manager. But again, like you say, I can't see Neil see Neil Lennon uh, accepting a position like that, and so I, I really don't see how any circumstances in which it would work. Now, there's been a lot of talk about uh, potential managers to take over from Neil Lennon if indeed he is uh, not the Celtic manager at this stage or at the end of the season. Uh, Green Knight Guitar, I'm here waiting on Eddie Howe. Better get a finger out. Great manager. Now, the reason I bring it up is the, the managerial merry-go-round as well, Laura, um, is mm-hmm. such that you know you keep an eye on the English game and you know that Eddie Howe is being uh, linked with Newcastle, who already have a manager in place and he's getting linked now to Cardiff City, who relieved the management team of their duties yesterday. Now, if, for example, one of these teams was to nip in and, you know, are efficient enough to get the man in place quickly, then that then starts to create another issue as well. Because we know that Peter Lowell came out the last time and said Neil Lennon was our first choice. Uh, I spoke about this yesterday and you know he, he was criticised for saying that he had never looked through the the CVs and people joke that they're sitting in some drawer in his office in Peter Lowell's office um, but I mean information uh, that I am led to believe is that that's not the case at all so we were in discussions with a manager and those discussions broke down really late on now that that would be horrific. You imagine a situation right now where let's say we were in discussions with Eddie Howe but we're not acting quickly enough and somebody like Newcastle or someone like Cardiff act a lot quicker than us because I mean they don't mess about do they? You, you see a lot of these clubs down south. I mean the West Brom situation was was poetry in motion. Uh, Billich is removed and next thing you know Sam Allardyce is there. It's like they don't mess about. I think this dithering could really come back to haunt the the Celtic decision makers if it goes on any longer. Yeah, I think I think we've seen that plenty of times. Uh, John McGinn's the most recent big example of a situation. Obviously, there was a financial aspect involved to that as well, but certainly we wouldn't have been uh, forced into an auction off with Aston Villa had it not been for. Um, the delay in actually putting the offer in in the first place and the same issue happens with management you know the the rap the rapid nature in which managers are appointed and sacked and things like that appointing a manager nowadays is very much like trying to sign a player so in either case you're in a situation where uh you know being slow off the mark is only going to cause you to have to um look further down the food chain as far as quality and as far as experience is concerned. Eddie Howe, quite rightly, will be in high demand for a certain level of club, of which I think Celtic is in in that bracket. And so we're in a situation where, unfortunately, probably a Newcastle or a, a Cardiff or something like that who can offer as much if not more money than we can and give us give Eddie Howe a, an opportunity to continue managing in a l- league system he's experienced with is probably going to outweigh any opportunity any temptation he would have to come to Celtic I think the only way we could potentially lure somebody like that is if we get in first and there's actually no competition because the minute there's direct competition from down south unfortunately I think we would probably end up being on the losing side yeah, and, and I think when we're dragging our heels as we invariably do, uh, Laura, under the circumstances, and yes, you know, there's maybe been a time during the um, the nine in a row era where that complacency hasn't really affected the outcome. You know, we're still winning leagues, we're still winning trebles. We didn't get John McGinn, but we still won the treble. But you know, when you look back on it, and this is going back to what Jim said before with hindsight, you realise that it was actually very damaging on so many levels. First, the first level is the fact that Brennan Rogers, and it wasn't the only reason why he left the club, but it was yet another reminder to him that you're not going to be able to do the job that you want to do at Celtic whilst you're up against um, this um, situation where someone who was employed to deal with all non-footballing matters is interfering with footballing matters to the point where a deal that could be struck with John McGinn wasn't and others, you know, we spoke about the uh, Puccini deal whereby the, the, the goalposts were moved and that, that was after the guy had actually flown into Glasgow to sign on the dotted line so 
the, these situations that Celtic find themselves in, um, again, it could be complacency in previous years. It, we don't have the the um, the option to be complacent now, Laura, because as I said at the very top of the show, we're, we're moving into the territory at the end of this season of having so much of an upheaval. Now, Jim doesn't think the, the playing staff, because we have such a core, and I agree with that, I think we do have a, a very good squad of players who, if coached with the right uh, individual or team, could still craft out success. But I feel at the end of this season, we're going to lose a batch of those players. It doesn't look at the moment as though we're going to lose any of them in January. Uh, but it's got to be said, you know, some of the names that keep cropping up will not be here at Celtic next season. It's unfortunate that a couple of those, I think, would be pivotal team members such as Ayer or Christie or Edward. I, th- I think we'll probably lose two out of those three. So there will be uh, a reworking of the, the personnel in terms of identifying your own men and bring them in. Martin O'Neill did that and he was you know he was picking players out of the top league in England and what came with the players is a transfer fee and a massive wage. Unfortunately, it doesn't sound to me as though we're going to be in a situation um, or we are going to be uh, prepared to do that this time round at the end of this season, certainly. Laura, could you just tell me if you're still with us? I know that your camera has gone. Good. Um, But yesterday, when I was talking to JP about it, what he was able to do was he injected a wee bit of humour and he took us on a different tangent and he gave us a a John Barnes impression. I'm going to ask you, um, I'm not asking for humour, but let's take it on a diversion at the moment. There's a big Celtic flag behind you. What can you tell me about the the story behind that? So this is my um, sister's uh, replica version of the Celtic flag that I believe is still flying as the main club flag at the stadium. Um, She designed that for a competition in the Celtic View, which I think was back in 1997. So uh, fans were invited to to put designs in, work with the club on, uh, you know, perfecting that design. And uh, the prize was for your your flag to become the club flag. Uh, and uh, I believe it's still flying at the stadium to this day. So this is obviously a slightly smaller version. So it's a complete one off. But uh, she's uh, let me borrow it for today just to show off and boast about it a wee bit. I remember that competition. Sadly enough, I do remember that competition, Laura, and I'm sure I've still got the Celtic view um, that it was announced in. Lawrence Conley has joined us uh, to say you get one-on-one communication with the fans, your customers, no outside output. It is an amazing media to have that gives you that direct connection. And I think if you were to to join the fan base, let's say on Wednesday night against Hamilton, and address the fans, um, straight away there is a feeling that you are listening. You appreciate the frustration that many fans are feeling at this moment in time and if the CEO was to take some time out of his busy schedule to do that I'm sure it would uh, be well received Uh, Jim Orr we were talking when you disappeared there about various aspects of where we are as a football club and you had said earlier that you do still think we have a good squad however aren't we coming towards a point at the end of this season where maybe four, five, even six of that squad are going to be moving elsewhere? Of course. Um, I think that could happen. I think there's maybe two or three players I'd, I'd, I'd try and, to try and keep to push the boat out. You mentioned Chris Ayer. I would, I would build the team around Ayer. I'd offer him a long-term contract and bump up his wages. Uh, and even if we do lose it, we're, we're going to lose Eddie. That's a kind of given. Uh, we'll lose Ryan Christie. We might lose Calmack. Scott Brown will be playing less and less games. I think we'll maybe only lose three or four players. Uh, the lone guy's going back uh, Shane Duffy will be no great boss like Salt started off really well but he'll be no great boss I think either uh, I don't think we'd spend any big money on him again we have to balance the books Early Noose is one of these guys you know good one week bad the other so on balance I don't think we'd, uh, I'd, I'd lose too much if we lost him so I think, I think the players are there and if you get a decent amount of money for, for, for Eddie we should look to reinvest that and I think we should look for top dollar for Eddie because I'm quite, I'm quite, quite confused by a lot of the comments about we'd be lucky to get whatever for, for Eddie mm-hmm. 30 million is which way you start Eddie is in the under 21 French team he's the top all time goal scorer for the French under 21 team he's maybe not had a great season this year but if you look at some of the goals he scored uh, AC Milan away Sparta away the cup final with the wee dink stuff like that Eddie's a class player you know his form might have done but he's a class player and if you were to try to buy any other player like Eddie anywhere in Europe, 
30 million is a bargain. So if we can get 30 million for him and the current climate, that's a lot of money to try and reinvest. Albeit, given we're in the middle of this COVID still, uh, the club spend a lot of money. You know, back to Peter Lowe, he has to balance the books. That's the most important thing he has to do. And I got a bit... When I see all these stuff about which is getting by this guy, he's only 10 million, he's only... We can't do that kind of stuff. And as I said at the very start, if we're spending silly money on players, that's a reflection in how poorly they're trying to scout players. We need to get that part of the, of the, of the club sorted out. We need to identify players better, sign them faster. We need a better fast track for the, for the youth players. Are they any good? If they're not any good, why aren't they any good? Why do we stop that facility at Lennoxton? Get that sorted out. And again, this is coming back to the structure of the whole thing. The success is, in spite of all that, not being very good. What would it be like if we got all that sorted out? What would it be like? Yeah. No, you're right, and um, I think people do point to uh, the European misadventures that we've had over the piece as well, and the kind of uh, finance that could have come in had we got our um, ducks in a correct uh, alignment before we went into these games, i.e. players actually playing in the European games. £10 million of talent sitting on the bench last season, and we, we fire out to Cluj. So, again, I've got to thank everybody for getting involved in the comments section on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. If you are watching on YouTube, make sure to subscribe free charge and we broadcast uh, on a daily basis. And later on this afternoon at 2.30, we actually have Anthony Haggerty joining us for an additional bulletin. We'll be um, picking Anthony's brains to see what he thinks about the current situation at Celtic. Laura, you won't be back until Friday of next week. However, if there is any breaking news, uh, maybe we'll do an additional bulletin and pull in some of the under contributors uh, into a, a bulletin. Will it happen? Who knows? We've got uh, the best part of a week since the, the Livy game to do something. And there are rumours saying that, you know, it's all about um, behind the scenes discussions about contracts. Something is afoot. Who knows? I don't know what to believe at this moment in time, but we'll see how that progresses. All that's left for me to say is Jim Orr and Laura Bradburn. Thank you once again for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind. Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Social Podcast Network. Sports 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 Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.